Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 101, Querying and Getting the Call, an interview with Claire Eliza Bartlett, coming to you on Thursday, October 4th, 2018. There are few things that writers love more than hearing another writer tell about some exciting story in their writing life. One of those great stories is, and then I got this email or this phone call and an agent asked to represent me and now we've been working together happily all this time. And then one of the other great stories is, and then my agent called me and said, guess what? We've sold your book. Yay. So Claire's going to tell us about both of these wonderful calls and how it has affected her life and changed her writing trajectory. This is also going to be a multi-part series, so to speak. There's going to be at least two episodes because we'll have Claire back again in April after her book comes out to tell us all about the things that have happened in, in between here and there, but mostly about the excitement of seeing her book actually hit the shelves and the probable mania involved in the initial marketing when the book first comes out. So it should be really fun. We'll watch how a book, a first book goes from zero to hero. <laughs> so that'll be lots of fun, but that will be six months from now. Today, we're going to hear about those those first two wonderful calls and the things that have happened uh, as Claire has gotten this far in the process. So it'll be lots of fun. One of the things that we talked about really briefly in the interview uh, was the Cider Festival that we just went to, and I just wanted to tell you about it real quick, because if you are like me, you love fall colors and all things autumn, and I was so excited to be able to, after living in um, so many places and other countries where they don't really have kind of the Michigan fall colors that I grew up with and that I'm I still say that I'm used to, even though there's a lot of it that I haven't really seen that much of. But um, we were taking the train to the Chivik Cider Festival, and the bus driver told me it was not Kivik, it was Chivik. I'm almost positive I'm saying it correctly now. And uh, we, it was me and John. Uh, this past weekend, and our friends Tamri and Dave came over from Scotland, who actually used to be our neighbors in California, and they came over to uh, visit and sightsee, and we all went to the Cider Festival together, and a couple of times I passed on the bus what must have been a red maple or something like it, because there were these bright red leaves all throughout the whole tree, and I was so happy, totally my fall happy place, very, very just thrilled to pieces, (laughs) and I would have taken pictures if the bus weren't going so fast and I had known that I should be having my camera out. So if you have any fall colors or cool autumn stuff happening in your area, send me a picture. I want to see. I can only hope that Melma is also going to get some fall colors. I have no idea since this is the first time that I've lived here. But one of the other really cool things was while we were over there um, and we were drinking cider and eating donuts and eating apple cake and it was so fun. Oh, and um, we had... I'm used to caramel apples, caramel-covered apples, but we saw chocolate-covered apples, and so we bought a couple of those on sticks. That was awesome. But when John and I went through the cider uh, taste-testing tent from all these different uh, apple farms and apple orchards and all these places that were making different ciders, and one of the guys started talking to us about Well, who knows what, but somehow the conversation got to be on Michigan. And he said, do you know where Gaylord is? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I practically like my whole life and all of my family is all up in that northern Michigan area. So of course I know where that is. And then we were talking about his family and he has family here and there. And John and I are from here and there in Michigan. And Oh, it just made me feel like home. I mean, Michigan colors, Michigan flavors, and then talking to somebody who'd been to Michigan. I'm like, oh, I'm in so, so much of a happy kitty place. So again, if you have pictures, send them to me. I will very much enjoy them. Um, my Twitter handle is just Kitty Buchholz, just my name, K-I-T-T-Y-B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z, spelling it out so that you can send me a picture. Okay, so that was my really exciting uh, fall colors, autumn festival kind of um, moment that I just had to tell you a little bit more about because I didn't want to interrupt the interview to talk about it too much there. But one actually important tip that I thought of yesterday that I need to share with you is 
organize your work now. Even if you only have one or two books or you don't have a series yet, so you feel like there's really no need for you to get organized, you'll get organized later. If you're like, I'm never going to move like you move, Kitty, so I don't have to worry about being organized. Whatever your reasons are, ignore them and just get organized. So I'm working on Love at the Clip and Curl, which is book two of the Strays of Loon Lake series. And I knew there was some things in Love at the Fluff and Fold that I needed to pull into book two, and I was going to make some notes and stuff. But oh my gosh, the number of files of different things, even Scrivener files, the whole point of a Scrivener file is to put everything in one file so you don't lose it anymore like I used to in Word when I had 42 files. But I found some stuff that I was like, why is this even here? Like, I don't even think this is technically a Strays of Loon Lake book, but this is where I found the notes for this part. Um, one of those files dated back to 2007. It said it was created in 2007. First of all, I wasn't even published in 2007, and I most certainly do not remember thinking about the Strays of Loon Lake books. I was totally working on other things. So I'm not sure why I have these ideas in my head for so long, and then apparently I'm using them later, so now it's 11 years later. So I'm just saying, just in case you're writing down notes about something that you think that you might work on soon, or it's just an idea and you have no idea, it'll be 10 years until you actually get that idea into print, organize your work. I have so many different files that say list of characters and not all the characters have the same first or last names. Not all the businesses have the same names. And so yesterday and well into last night was definitely more of the, okay, just no, you can't eat chocolate to get through this. You're going to get fat if you keep eating chocolate every time. You just like need that emotional boost. You're just going to have to do it. So I had Netflix playing in the background and oh my gosh, all the organizing, organizing, organizing. So do it now. It won't take us so long later. Tip from Kitty. Learn from my mistakes. All right, so we're going to get into the interview. If you're watching on YouTube, I apologize about the lack of light in the video. I actually have lights shining on me, and it is 9.30 in the morning, and yet the video looks like I'm in a dark room. So very sorry. I am working on lighting. I just have to figure it all out. It's different here, and I'm really afraid to put holes in the ceiling by myself, but uh, apparently that's what I have to do. So um, just haven't had the courage to do it yet. So I will get some better lighting, but uh, in the meantime, uh, the most important part is the interview with Claire, and you can see her perfectly fine. She has great lighting behind her. I hope that you enjoy her wonderful stories, and we'll come back and hear more of her stories in six months. But in the meantime, have a great week and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Claire Bartlett. Claire Eliza Bartlett is a U.S. citizen who grew up in Colorado. While her great love is writing, she studied history and archaeology and perfected the art of living abroad, spending time in Switzerland and Wales before settling in Denmark for good. She writes sci-fi fantasy, short fiction, and novels, and when not at her computer telling mostly false stories, she works as a tour guide in Copenhagen telling stories that are mostly true. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. Yeah. I love your intro. <laughs> I enjoy it. We worked a lot on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I noticed you've got some really fun things in the way that you uh, put normally very bland, dry uh, headers and stuff on your website, you know, and it, it, instead you like use these like crazy phrases like promises I make to you if you sign up to my newsletter instead of <laughs> my privacy policy is. <laughs> I try. It's good. Well, there you go. I mean, obviously, you're a storyteller. Yeah, I've I've gotten used to it uh, over the years. I guess that's why I'm still a tour guide after six and a half years of doing that job as well. You know, even though you and I live in different countries, we are probably 20 or 30 minutes apart by yeah, train. I love that. I love that about Europe. I think that's <laughs> It's cool. I'm totally getting used to it. You've obviously been used to it for quite a long time now, over a decade, but this is all brand new to me. <laughs> when we lived, when I lived in Switzerland, I actually lived in Italian speaking Switzerland. I like to call it the least Swiss part of Switzerland. <laughs> and we were just three miles from the border with Italy. So on 
on a on a day when we had nothing to do, we could walk down to Italy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Let's just go have some wine and some bread. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Italy. I have no idea what's really there. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of wine. (laughs) The wine festival had really delicious grapes. I'll tell you that much. Oh, nice, nice. Well, I will have to tell you there's a cider festival coming up in Sweden in two weeks. So I'll tell you more about it after. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, two hours by train from here. So probably two and a half hours from you. But we'll talk about that later. There's probably not that many people listening who are like, oh, yeah, I could totally go to that. (laughs) Why not? Cider festivals in Sweden. I know, right? I'm excited. I'm not a beer girl. I'm a cider girl or wine or something like that. So, yeah. Well, so aside from the fact that I totally want to book myself on a tour that you're giving, <laughs> uh, right now we really should be talking about your book. So this is very exciting times for you. You are about ready to have your very first novel published. Yes, that's right. With Little Brown, a young adult fantasy novel. Excellent. Uh, and it's called fighting. It's called We Rule the Night. Oh, I should have uh, I should have brought my um, I should have brought my visual aid with me because I actually received a gift wrapped copy of my first advanced reader copy. No, that's sweet. That is my incredible. editor is just the greatest. Kelly, wow. <laughs> if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> So. Now, you and I met at a writer's group very recently, just, well, I think we, um, we met in July and then we had our first writer's group meeting uh, in August uh, here in Malmö, Sweden. So you actually go to another country for this particular writer's group. Yeah, well, it's uh, not a big deal. <laughs> I could drive there if I, yeah. <laughs> I could get the car, if I could wrestle the car away from my husband. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you and I have um, just recently met and have been talking about your experiences as about to be a newly published uh, yeah. author. Well, I mean, but you've already been published in short fiction. So, yes. in fact, one of those stories I, I need to know, I need to know. So I kind of sort of at some point, probably in like English class, knew that Hans Christian Andersen was from Denmark. But then those facts just fly out of my head in the course of everyday life over the next couple of decades. And then when we were there, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. So tell us about your story, The Little Match Girl. Ah, yeah. Well, so that was actually written after the editor of that anthology uh, put some pressure on me. (laughs) The editor of that anthology was uh, Karina Bissett. And she's pretty amazing as well. She does some classes for short fiction. Um, I took her class, Monstrous Women, around this time last year. It is just as amazing as it sounds. Nice. And I also took a class, Science Fiction Fairy Tale Intersections, Ooh. with her. And it's all about, yeah, looking at uh, fairy tales in a new light and mashing them up with some science fiction. And for many, many years, I've wanted to write about Copenhagen in a futuristic setting because I think it makes for an excellent dystopian concept. So um, the little match girl, I, tr- I decided to do that, that mashup of a dystopian idea of Copenhagen and how I see it in the future, drawing on some of my tour guide knowledge of uh, all of the places around us and also on... Yes, this strong literary tradition of Hans Christian Andersen and what, like, the different literary devices he brings to the table, which are not always positive, and the different sort of things we can bring into that. Nice. So. Now, I didn't uh, actually click through on every one of the links on your publications page, but so you have a website, it has a publications tab, and then this is where I read about your short stories. Is this one that people can click on that link and go read it? Do they need to purchase anything or can they read it on the, I don't know, website, I guess, of the publisher? I believe that it's for sale. It's a non-binary review, number 14, published by Zoetic Press. But I think it's the only one of my stories that is not available for free online. So, and it's a, it's a huge volume oh, wow. as well. My contributor copy was massive. So I think for the for the money you spend, you get it. You you get your your time. Nice, well spent. nice. 
Now, um, tell us just so that I don't say it wrong. Your author website is? AuthorClaire.com. AuthorClaire. AuthorClaire.com. Okay. C-L-A-I-R-E? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Not like Cassandra Claire, the other Claire. <laughs> the other Claire. Yeah. Sort of like the general Anglo Claire. Yeah. All right. All right. Good, good. Now I'm sitting here going, how does uh, Claire and Outlander spell her name? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't read Outlander, so... Oh, yeah. Sure. It's been a while, so I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> but I have to say, your name, when I was reading it, in my head, I was giggling, going, oh, my gosh, you sound like a Little Women character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did sort of, so I selected this name. It's my pen name. Okay. You are familiar with. And I did select it to be a sort of representation of a, you know, an Anglo-Saxon Western woman. So... The idea is you can, you can sort of visualize what I look like from my name. Yeah. I, I wanted to do that. I like it. I like it. Well, I'm sure. I really do think if Joe from Little Women were living today in 2018, she also would have blue, green, and purple hair like you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, so tell us a little bit more about, um, you know what, start wherever you like, but uh, okay. if you want to do it in chronological order or any other order. So um, I'm sure that listeners would love to hear because I don't think we've had anybody on yet uh, telling the story about when they received, and it used to be an actual phone call, but now things tend to be by email. When you received the call that a literary agent was interested in representing you, and then when she or whoever gave you the call that you have a book contract. So tell us a little about, about your story. Yeah. Okay, so um, my story is a young adult fantasy. We rule the night, and it's about the daughter of a general and the daughter of a traitor who have who are forced to be co-pilots flying magical planes in an epic war, and they can't stand each other, but they're going to have to learn to work together, or else the war is going to destroy them, and that's the general idea. Um, I finished the book in like 2016, in sort of the summertime. I had written it, I had revised it, I'd gone through like an editing class with it to try and make it as strong as possible. And then I decided at the end of the summer, now is the time to start querying. So the first thing I did was not actually query. <laughs> I entered a bunch of contests and not like Twitter contests, but I entered a bunch of like first five page contests and writing like first page contests. And those are really beautiful. They're, the judges are always really dedicated. They want to give authors the chance to shine and help them out a lot. So I was always receiving feedback. I think every contest I entered, I received feedback from at least one judge. And I also often got feedback from other contestants. So they really oh, helped wow. me strengthen my query. And um, starting from September, I went into the query phase. And I would do about a query a day. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't religiously, but it was nice. It was a good pace for me. Um, I like to fret about things, so it was nice to take my mind. Like, I could focus on doing something about my situation of not having an agent rather than sending out a bunch of queries and then waiting around um, very worried for a while. Uh, and thankfully, because I'd gotten so much query feedback from all these contests, I had a pretty high request rate based off of queries so right I um I got so first I got the initial email saying let's chat from my agent on January 1st uh wow. <laughs> which is also my birthday oh that's <laughs> so it was awesome. a beautiful day. <laughs> and um it was really funny because I was I was making dinner with my sister she was coming to visit me and I got an email from this agent who had my full manuscript. And I thought, there is no way I can be getting a rejection on New Year's Day. <laughs> and I didn't. She wanted to meet. So we scheduled uh -huh. a call. And we did call over um, Skype. Mm -hmm. We had a phone call. And we talked for like an hour, I think, about an hour. Wow. She, Kirsten is very editorial. So she likes to... Um, discuss like how she sees the novel going and what changes she envisions making to the novel before submitting it to publishers. So we talked a lot about what we would, what we would change. 
and um, and then at the end, since we seem to be on the same page, she made the offer of representation, and um, and because I'd been sending out a novel a day, I had a lot of novels or agents who needed to uh, to hear back from me. Right. So we also agreed to a ten day waiting period, where I would uh, give any other agents who wanted the chance to offer for me as well. Mm-hmm. So I got some other offers. Um, but ultimately, I went with Kirsten. I really liked the direction she wanted to take my novel in, and that was great. Uh, then, after formally accepting it, you know, we went through all the paperwork. It takes a little while to get the paperwork going, especially if you live abroad. You get your contract mm-hmm. mailed to you. Uh. Some things in publishing are still like really, really behind the times. A little 20th century. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very much so. So then we started, we did do some editing rounds. We had two rounds of edits that I did with her. And I also did some sensitivity reads because my main character is a double amputee. So I was um, making sure that this book was not going to be too um, you know, too offensive, harmful, you know, had some good representation. So then we went out on submission in, I would say, May, around May, end of May. Okay. So it took us about four months we were working on revisions together. Yeah. Uh, so then we were out for a little while and um, we got word that an editor was interested, but not ready to make an offer yet and they wanted to have a phone call basically to discuss changes they envisioned for the novel and I did end up getting two offers from publishing houses and it's amazing how different like the visions of different editors and agents can be yeah Uh, so that was a really interesting thing to see one like they both wanted to go in very different directions so um in many ways, it was just a question of which direction did I feel was more accurate to what I'd originally written. Yeah. Now, if I could interrupt with a question mm-hmm. here. Um, I know that this is not uncommon in publishing for um, some agents are not um, not editorially hands-on and yeah. others are very kind of deep dive in. Yeah. So um, when you initially you must you I'm sure you probably already knew this because you've been writing for a while you've been part of writers groups and that sort of thing so you knew that this was a possibility right yes that that you might get an editorial style agent okay so when you initially got the um the ideas for changes from her part Mm -hmm. of the reason I'm this is a question part of the reason why you went with her and went ahead and, and did the changes is because you really thought that she got your novel and that these changes would make it better Oh, yes, definitely. Like one of the cool things I felt and still feel about Kirsten is that she feels sort of like she's giving me advice from myself, but six months in the future when I've had a chance to really think about it. So I do feel that she has a strong understanding of um, the way I see story. Um, She also doesn't have like where I've been concerned, she hasn't provided me with a lot of solutions. She hasn't been telling me how to write the novel, but she's been saying like, this needs to be stronger. And um, we, we talked about the pace of We Rule the Night. We talked about like some of the things we could bring in together. So she's also very much, she's also very keen on making sure that I'm fixing the novel the way I want to. But I, I do feel that her editing style matches with mine and that was ultimately why I decided to go with her as well um one of the best pieces of advice I received was from an editor that I know uh who said that like the most important thing in an agent is making sure that your editorial styles match up and that you think you can work together long term so yeah and so then when you got to the point where now you had two offers from two editors, so two different publishing yeah. houses, yeah. Then you had to ask yourself these questions again. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, of course, the visions that these different editors had were so different that it was not actually as hard as picking an agent. Um, it was very much like, what did I, who did I feel 
had a, a more aligning vision for my book. <clears throat> and and there was a def like Little Brown was definitely the publisher that that had a vision that was more similar to what I'd originally considered. Mm -hmm. So. And so again, did you feel, I, and I'm asking you, um, I'm never, this podcast is never about uh, saying anything derogatory or negative about yeah. anyone or any place. So I'm not, I'm not digging for dirt here. I'm just asking. So um, when you were getting these editorial notes, were you thinking to yourself, okay, I see that she's telling me that she feels like something needs to be improved here. I'm not 100% sure that I agree. Did you, do you ever feel like, I'm not sure that I agree, but I understand she's trying to make it better. So what can I do that I will still like and yeah. she will like? Is that I'm asking this partially because the listeners will need to understand how this works. And yeah. so getting inside your head will help yeah. people. <laughs> well, so do you mean like before I accepted an offer or after? After when now after. you need to you need to have an agreeable solution yeah. for everyone. So for me that was really rare <laughs> that oh, I good. felt that she was making a that my editor, my editor is Hallie Tibbetts. And um, it was very rare that I felt she was making a suggestion that I didn't agree with actually. And it was always on something kind of superficial. Um, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Hallie as well, uh, is that she's also very much, she points out problems, but she doesn't give, con like she doesn't provide concrete solutions that she thinks I should take. She definitely brings in like she, she spitballs some ideas about how I could improve it. Um, but she's always very clear to say that I can do something else. I can pick something else if I think it will solve the problem. And yeah. so when we've had, when I've had like questions about what the problem is or whether something will be a good solution, I can just ask, like shoot her an email or I could, we've done some calls, phone calls about it sometimes. And we've always been able to resolve it. Excellent. So again, like one of the biggest things, right? Getting an editor that you also feel um, has a strong respect for the vision you've brought to the work. Um, yeah. So it's been lovely. It's been really <laughs> great. It's been a lot of hard work. We did four rounds of editing wow. on this novel from October to through February, basically. And so you got an offer for some time in May, paperwork had to go through and then um, you started working on edits in October. The offer went through, I think in the end of July. Oh, that's right. You started yeah. sending out around. Yeah. May. We started okay. sending out around May. It was like six weeks or so before we got the first responses. Uh, and then at the end of July, it was all set up. We had formally accepted an offer from little Brown. It was another nine months before I got my contract. Oh, of course. So welcome to the land of publishing. Um, but we were working on edits from, I think I actually got my first edits in like mid-September. Oh, wow. And we were working on that all the way through. That's pretty quick considering, you know, summertime, a lot of, I was always told yeah. by my editor, don't expect a lot during the summertime because everybody, including agents and editors, you go on vacation and yeah. have things to do. So. I also thought when we went out at the beginning of summer, I was like, okay, it's going to be at least the end of summer before I get any replies at all. I'm not even going to bother my agent until September about whether we've gotten answers or anything. And then in the middle of summer. <laughs> so it really, and one thing she said at the time was that she hasn't seen a lot, a large difference in, uh, in, in sort of editor responses and so on. Oh, that's uh, good so, to know. Yeah. Maybe there's been a change or maybe just, you know, it was, oh gosh, more than 10 years ago that I was working with an agent. So yeah. maybe our terrible work culture is pushing people to work all the time from wherever. Yeah. Well, sadly, I mean, I do feel bad for the, the editors that I do know who um, their workload only increases as things yeah. change. It's, I feel it's bad awful. for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, so you get this offer, and are you are you bouncing around? Are you thinking I'm stunned? I I can't believe this. It's about ready to happen. Tell us a little bit about. Yeah, I mean, I was super excited. Um, I've always felt that this book has like a strong hook to it, and has a definite place in the market. Mm. Um, it's a diesel punk novel. It sort of mixes some technology and magic. It has a lot of the World War II elements that. A lot of young adult novels have, but I brought in some of the World War II technology as well. And 
um, it's also based on a true story that I think is pretty incredible. Oh. Uh, the story of the night witches who are these Russian female pilots. Yes, I saw an article in, I don't know, somewhere, and I sent it to like three of my writer friends, and I said, yeah. oh my gosh, have you read about them? And apparently all of my friends who write any kind of historical anything, they very kindly were like, yeah, isn't it a great story? Yes, of course I've heard of them. <laughs> I was like, well, these people are crazy interesting, but tell us a little bit more about, yeah. yeah they yeah. are really fantastic it's a really fantastic story and i think that it has in recent years become more of a um it's become more of a like a widespread story but they were they were uh women and honestly they were many of them young adults i think the youngest of them was 16 years old in 1943 when this uh when this air force was sort of founded and their job was to keep the Germans from sleeping basically on the front lines at night. So they would fly these little planes and these were like training, they were really old training planes. I don't know how much um, World War II history, the average uh, podcast listener should know, but in yeah. 1943, Hitler essentially moved on Russia and he, he destroyed the entire air force. So they had to start over. And they started over with these terrible training planes that my favorite fun fact is they were so slow that the Germans couldn't actually catch them because if the Germans slowed down enough to catch them, their own airplanes would stall. So their pla these Russian planes were smaller, slower than the stall speed of a German airplane. That's very interesting. <laughs> incredible. They flew so low to the ground that, that the Germans could shoot them with rifles from the ground as well. Wow. So um, they had these, yeah, these terrible jobs and they would fly up to 18 hours a night going out, dropping bombs and uh, and bombarding the front lines so they were amazing and their story is amazing as well and what struck me personally about the story is that uh, they really stuck together these women they had a very uh sort of strong community together they didn't operate entirely in the same way that the male aviators were expected to operate so they had a different community uh than the usual sort of army community and um after the war, for, for many years, uh, the Soviet Union pretended they never existed at all. Wow. So, so the, I wanted to bring all of that in. As, as heroes, uh, maybe until after their deaths or? Yes, I think the last of the Night Witches is now dead, uh, just a couple of years ago. But um, it was in, so 1984, I think, is the first book in English that I began to read about it. And I think that it's one of those things that maybe you could find if you dug around, particularly in Russian. Yeah. But it was like, it's, it's becoming a larger story as more people hear about it and, and write about it. But they make songs about it. People have written like role-playing games about it. So <laughs> it is becoming a bit more of a thing now. And there are like three other young adult novels uh, that have used the night witches as either historical fiction or as a jumping off point, like we rule the night. So nice. So, so you had this idea in your head that, you know, you might want to use it for something and then you kind of took it in this really alternate history, magical. Yeah. And it came very suddenly, I will say. Um, it's kind of ridiculous, but uh, so I, I am a little bit of a metal fan and I had some, some friends here uh, who had bought tickets to a Sabaton concert. Sabaton, they're a Swedish metal band, so okay. uh, <laughs> you can always go take, take a listen. But uh, they, of course, that means they can cut, come to Copenhagen quite often. And I was invited to go to this concert when one of them couldn't go. I decided to listen to some of their more recent music to remind myself um, you know, what, what Sabaton's doing lately. And this was one of their songs. It was about the Night Witches. And the more I read, the more fascinated I was. And eventually I just knew like, this is going to be a novel. And I got all the books out and I bought all the biographies and so on. And, um, and I started basically writing down, like, this is going to be a scene, this is going to be a scene. And so it was, a very, it was a very clear concept from the beginning. 
That's awesome. Now, if I remember right, this is book one of more than one book. So is that right? I, well, I'm saying we'll that see. because I'm not sure if there was a series or not. Or We'll see. I think it'd be amazing to do a series, but we're waiting for now to see, you know, how the first one does. Yeah. I've got some grand ideas for, for more, if people yeah. want more. And um, right now, the second book in my contract with Little Brown it's looking like it'll be something a little bit different, uh-huh. but hopefully it's still fun. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So um, if you, if somebody said, what kind of author are you? I mean, is it almost always YA or, cause I think that I read in your bio, like you do these things in YA, but these things in adult. Yeah. I feel like I write more adult short stories for sure. And I'd love to write YA short stories, but I haven't been able to crack crack the code in a way yet. So it's something that I'm, um, it's a project I'm currently working on, but I really enjoy short fiction reading and writing it. So that's definitely something I want to keep doing. Yeah. I have to say that again, uh, you know, looking over your author page, I was like, all right, I have to go read what a 50 word short story is and what a 350 word short story is. (laughs) Because I wrote what was going to be a short story introduction to one of my superhero novels. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll just make it a novella. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to put the word novella on the cover, even (laughs) 45,000 words, which in romance is a short novel. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I might have a problem with using too few or using too many words. (laughs) I think it's also short stories. They have, I feel like they're, they're often, they're simpler in many ways, right? They have a, they're not necessarily simpler in language. In fact, I think you can be even more complex with language and theme in a short story. Sometimes it can be in a novel, but they plot wise, they can't have too much stuff going on or they're not going to be short for very long. So, yeah, I think that's my problem is that I'm usually thinking of three or four different things that in the end they braid and weave together to get to this ending. And, um, in a short story, I'm like, okay, I have to have one plot line that gets to the ending I want it to get to and have it have an interesting kind of like, Ooh, that was cool. I'm like, I don't know if I know how to do that with only one plot line. (laughs) I'm going to say it takes practice for sure. Like I think that anyone can learn how to write yeah. a novel or a short story. It's all about structure and practice, but it is yeah. definitely, I think that that's not uncommon. Like I certainly was the same way when I started off writing short stories, they would get to novel lengths yeah. and it was very hard to keep them down. And on the other hand, I know, Oh, at least a half a dozen people who they are absolutely convinced they could never write a novel. I'm a short story writer. I just wouldn't know how to make something into 50 or 80,000 words. And I'm like, oh, I bet you probably could though. But I I think it it does have to do with what's in your head. And I think honestly, a lot of people are like, I like what I write. (laughs) Yeah. And if you, if you don't have interest in writing something like it's so much work, why should you write something you don't really have an interest in writing? Right. Yeah, that's me with anything history related. I love reading alternate history work, so I'm excited to read yours. Um, but <laughs> yeah, in like eight more months or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always fear the alternate history appellation because I really don't feel like I did <clears throat> the sort of work that it's required for, for real alternate history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely a secondary world fantasy very heavily based off of history. Um, I'd compare it more to maybe like Guy Gabriel Kay, if you know him. No, I don't. Who, uh, I love him a lot. He's a great, great writer. And he definitely does, he does fantasy that is so heavily inspired by history. You, you know, you can, you can see very clearly where it's coming from. Oh, so wow. I do recommend him if you like historical yeah. All right. We'll put his name in a link to wherever we can find him in the <laughs> okay. show notes so that people can come and find out. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, no, I, I don't know who that is. But now I, I definitely want to, uh, to see what he's got. Because honestly, that probably would appeal to me slightly more. It's the massive amounts of research that reminds me of high school. 
that yes. I was like, no, I don't want to do anything that requires research of something dry and boring. But the thing is, is that I do tons of research of other things. So the point is, research what you yeah. think is interesting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I, I think I'm working on making my brand. It's sort of this weird histories that just make you giggle to read about them they are out there for anyone who uh whom, who might think that historical research can be dull there are some really fantastically hyster hysterical and brilliant historical uh um small stories that you don't hear about in the wider web of history oh that's awesome all right. Well, I'm definitely going to be asking you for any links to anything interesting that I can put in the show notes for people. Okay. So this is totally cool. I love, I love talking about um, people, you know, getting the call and how exciting it is yeah. and how much work it is. So, yes. now you're gonna... <laughs> so give us the, the release date for We Rule the Night is? It is April 2nd, 2019. Excellent. Yeah. So the book's turned in. You've already got your first advanced review copy that yeah. was so kindly gifted. <laughs> so sweet. I want your editor. <laughs> She's so brilliant. It was the, honestly the sweetest thing. And then my husband read me the note on the inside of the cover where she, it's sort of a personal note from her Aww. to the readers. And I almost cried. It was so sweet. Oh, uh, Okay. So you've got book in hand and yet still six months to go. So tell us what's yeah. the next steps. What are you working on now? What do you have to do for them and how much of it is weight or how much of it is weight by working on book two? Yeah. So what I got to do now is, um, is work on a second book that was part of the deal. Little Brown bought two books from me in the initial deal. And we're still at the proposal stage because I, um, have a problem with <laughs> overworking. <laughs> I believe you have talked before on your show about burnout. Yes, sadly. <laughs> yeah. I experienced that massively at the beginning of the year. Um, of course, like at that time, uh, we had like, I think in January, through January and February, I had three rounds of edits that I was doing. Two of wow. them were very intense for me. Like our third round of editing, um, our second round of editing uh, opened up some plot holes in the third act of the novel, which meant that I rewrote a ton of the third act in my wow. third round of editing, which made the book a lot stronger. We're, we're happy about it, but it was a lot of work. And at the same time, I was still waiting on my contract, so uh, <laughs> I had been paid. <laughs> so I needed some money. So I've I, uh, I been doing some ghostwriting online for other people so I picked up a couple of those jobs which can be pretty intense as well um, you've got to write a lot in a short amount of time to make it a viable job uh, and at the same time I do these tour guiding and uh, we had some illnesses on the team at that point I was mm -hmm. being pulled in to cover a lot uh, we had some people going on vacation because January and February are great times to leave cold Copenhagen where nobody wants to go on vacation and get a get a walking tour so I would work like at the height of my edits I was working 18 hours a day and I was throwing temperature and I just after that stopped for a month and uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't do anything I couldn't get my proposal together um, oh. in publishing nothing is certain so after after my first proposal after I wrote it up um, Little Brown said, no, thank you. So I had to start from the drawing board, you wow. know, which it's definitely something that's going to happen, I think, to authors who, who pursue traditional publishing deals, right? Yeah. The publisher either has another book that's similar that they're already working with, or they've tried that style before and it hasn't worked out monetarily for them. Right. So, you know, they, uh, they, they want you to try again. And it's... Um, it's just, it went all through the summer. The, uh, the slow summer that I didn't experience with my debut kicked in for this one. So, uh, so we're still working on the proposal for it. But I, yeah. I, I love this book as well. It's got um, some more historical vibes. It's got an ice palace in it. Oh, awesome. It's got this sort of creepy underwater kingdom in it. It's got 
one of those um one of those sort of fake marriage tropes ah, nice. that I'm really looking forward to writing. So I hope it's going to go well. And that's, that's the next step, right? Work on that book. That's um, tentatively scheduled for publication in spring 2020. Okay. So they did accept this proposal. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> but you the were waiting. book in advance is sort of tentatively scheduled for spring 2020. Okay. And uh, which which actually means I was supposed to hand it in like this month. <laughs> ah, oops. Yeah, so exciting, exciting. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with the proposal. Um, I believe right now we're scheduled to have a proposal meeting, or or my editor is supposed to take it to a to the meeting and uh, right and see if they'll say yes to it um, in early October. Yeah. So I'll find out. Then. You know, um, you've uh, touched on something else that because self-publishing is so strong and if anything, getting stronger um, uh, among the writer world um, and traditional publishing still also has so many great pros to it. And so there's lots of reasons why, depending on what you want, write and what you want from your writing career, then that is a good or best path also. And of course, the people who, who are doing or want to do both. Um, but one of the things that I've heard from several writers who um, aren't very familiar with traditional publishing, and since I, I started, on, started in this business in the last century, <laughs> I do know a little bit more about it than some of my friends. So can you give people a little bit of reassurance? I've heard people say, I'm getting really nervous. I, I think that I should cut and run from this deal because I still don't have a contract. We're making edits on my book. Um, I, I haven't gotten, you know, anything written down yet, and yet they're asking me to make these changes and different other things that you've mentioned. Now, it's a, a slightly maybe different for you that you have an agent who you can yeah. trust. And so if she says this is okay, then you can believe it. But some people, there are a couple of houses that you don't need to have an agent. And so yeah. those are the people who are really nervous. They didn't need an agent, so they don't have an agent, and they don't really know how this works. So can you tell us a little bit about... Hmm. Uh, just, yeah. I guess, some bits of reassurance that these things with traditional publishing houses who are not, you know, just opened yesterday, yeah, that you can trust them. Yeah. So I think one of the as well as being a good business person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On your end, um, I would say like contracts do take time, but I would say like if it, you know, if you think if. You, you should get a time frame, right? By this amount of time, you should get your contract. And if you don't have an agent, then I would say like, once the time frame passes, you should say, so what about that contract? I think an important thing to remember is if you're doing the work, so is the editor who's working with you. And they also don't want, you know, to put all of this effort into making an extremely publishable book um, just to walk away from it with nothing to show for all of their work at the end. That's an excellent point. I think that maybe that is a forgotten point sometimes. Yeah, it is. It was something I also reminded myself of because it's so easy to get nervous. Like, oh, what if they change their mind? But they're doing all this work. Um, I think the biggest thing about a small publisher is, you know, see what's going on. What happened in my case was there were a lot of changes in the contracts department. So oh, yeah. that made everything take longer and everything take longer. And then somehow something got lost in the cracks, which also happens, Yeah, which is also why, like, if you want to be, I'd say, if you're representing yourself, you want to be a good business person, you got to be able to put gentle pressure, I think, on your contact points, your editor, if you're working with a, with just an editor yeah. um, and no agent, uh, like doing that will will ensure that, you know, if there is something that, that went wrong, sort of randomly, you can get it fixed without having to worry <laughs> for months yeah. on end. Yeah, it's interesting, because um, there are, on the one hand, there are so many people who push too hard, and, and you hear it at an agent editor panel, you know, at a conference, okay, you know, what? if we say it takes us six weeks, please don't email me two weeks after you sent me something because I said it takes six weeks. On the other hand, I know people who have never contacted 
contacted somebody because, well, they said they would get back to me after, you know, 12 weeks. How long has it been? 12 months. You know, you probably should email them. And I know people who have emailed, you know, an agent or an editor that they queried. And, um, and as you say, things get lost in the, in the email system. I have more than 5,000 emails in my system. I totally am sure that I want something. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you get, you know, the second, you know, well, send it again. Sorry, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have it. So it's good to follow up. Yeah. And that happened with me as well when I got an offer for representation by my agent. One of the agents that had requested a partial she said, I have no recollection of receiving any more material from you. Just send me over the full. Yeah. So, you, you know, good things can come of it as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, this is so interesting. I could talk to you for so long because, you know, writers talking to writers. I swear I say that yeah, in almost every episode. <laughs> but so um, I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't any more. I know that before we uh, started recording, you said that, um, yeah, I got a few things that I wanted to, you know, tell people in case it was helpful. So have we covered it? Yeah. Is there some more things? Um, We've been talking about querying, which was kind yeah. of our point in a way. Yeah. I, I, I would say, like, for authors who want to get their start and, and query agents and go for the traditional publishing route, I've got a few, like, other pieces of advice, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote yeah. them down very helpfully, too. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> to remember them. Um, I said at the beginning that I entered a lot of contests before querying in earnest, and that's definitely a piece of advice I would have, like, Twitter contests are great, but all, like contests where you get feedback on your, like critical feedback on your work. That made my query so much stronger um, that definitely it's a way to cut through some of the time and get some, some direct push on how to make your work better. And I think that queries are some of the hardest, like every writer will tell you queries are some of the hardest things to write. You yeah. have to get so much packed into such a tiny space. So, of course, Kirsten actually found me through a contest, so you can get an agent out of it as well, but mostly, like, the feedback you get from it is really, really valuable, and you never know what's going to come from it, like Kirsten offered, and I also, three days before I was set to accept an offer of representation, I got an email from an agent that I had never queried, and she had been scrolling through old Twitter pitches, and she came across mine. She thought it was interesting. And she wrote to me and said, is this book still available? I said, well, technically. <laughs> and she read it in under 24 hours. And she did make me an offer of representation as well. Wow. Never know. Like putting yourself out there through different means and getting, getting all the help you can. You yeah. never know what's going to come out of it. So that's a matter to some degree. Um, all the listeners are probably writing in different genres. So yeah. you're probably going to Google something like um, writing contest in your genre, like romance writing contest, fantasy yeah. writing contest, middle yeah. grade writing contest. So, of course, there are some contests that go across genres and categories. Pitch Wars is the most famous one where like established people in the publishing world, published authors or editors or agents like they'll take on one mentor for a period of a few months and prepare them for submissions to agents. Um, that like Pitch Wars goes across everything. I entered, I think a similar contest, I think it was called First Pass Pages, where you just go the first page oh, wow. of your manuscript and you also submit that to, like agents can also look at that and make requests. Um, and then there are some specialized ones. Like definitely you should look at who are the judges for this contest and like what, what's, you know, what are the prizes? What do you get out of it? Um, there are definitely contests that are of varying quality. <laughs> yeah. So do, do the research for sure. But many of the people who are running the contest are doing so because they want to help, right? They want to help writers out. And if they've got the influence to get agents interested as well, it's yeah. always worth a shot. Excellent. So definitely contests. Um, also, like, don't get starry-eyed over the big agents. Yeah. Like, recently we've been hearing some 
terrible horror stories about uh, agents in the young adult community oh, no. who have been immoral or doing even illegal things for their clients uh, oh. or to their clients, I should say. And um, the stories are coming out and some agents are facing repercussions and some of the agents uh, had an enormous, an enormous reputation before all of this came down. And um, even the agents who are perfectly reputable and very good, just because they're giving someone else a seven figure deal doesn't mean they're going to get you a good deal. Uh, and it all comes down to how you guys work together. So like, I've seen a lot of people who only want the biggest agents ever uh, who represent the top of the top in their genre. And I think you'll get a better working relationship with an agent who truly understands your work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, of course. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your agent does for someone else. It matters what they're doing for you. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you were talking about making sure that you had relatively matching visions so that you will work well together. Yeah. And that was for sure the best piece of advice I received while I was <laughs> trying to figure out how to make my decision. So I think my, my last piece of advice is to write short stories. We talked about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it's so valuable. You hone your craft. It's an easier or it's a quicker way to figure out where our weaknesses lie in, in storytelling. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of structural weaknesses when I started uh, really getting into writing professionally and taking classes on short stories and getting feedback time after time, it really builds up. Finally, you realize like, oh, the last 15 short stories where I've gotten personal feedback, they all say the same thing, right? Yeah, weak yeah. characters or weak ending or stuff, something like that. So you can really start to put together an idea of where you need to make your writing stronger without querying 200 agents and giving up and putting in all this effort. Yeah. I think it's so valuable. And, and so much. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, yeah. And quicker because you're getting feedback right away on something short rather than waiting six months or 12 months for someone yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say it does also give you an idea of how long publishing can take. <laughs> yeah. You know, I published my first short story under my real name and I think it like I wrote it I sent it in three months later I got the acceptance one year later I got paid <laughs> and the short story was actually published so you know and, and like right now I've submitted a short story that's been out for about uh six months almost yeah you know and they they say they try to respond within six months but um you can there, there are some websites where you can look at how long they've been taking to respond to other writers and it's like 200 days 250 days um, and that is really how publishing works in the traditional yeah. sphere and yeah. it it helps it's definitely helped me keep my cool when I've been wondering like why hasn't this agent responded oh because it's been only two weeks okay I don't need to freak out that much yeah all right. That's really great advice, especially in this, you know, our, our 21st century world, we, everything is going faster. We're using technology to do things, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, quicker. And, um, and we get such an immediate response by posting anything to social media that it's yeah. really hard to remember that some things in life still take <laughs> a lot more time. Yeah, for sure. But are worth it. I think so. Like it's super valuable and, and it builds up over time. So I feel like I have, you know, a few things on my published on my published works page now yeah and when I started my website I had like nothing you know I had, well, as we all do out, but this isn't its actual named on publication and I don't have a photo of it and I I don't even have a, a link to Goodreads right right so well even this book didn't you tell us at the writers group meeting this is the second title and the second cover that is correct yeah, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully it'll not change in the next six months, but technically, I suppose it could, right? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, I don't think it will. Yeah. Um, the reaction to the cover has been pretty universally positive. So okay. I think Little Brown's going to stick with the cover. So. Nice. All right. So if anyone wants to see the cover, uh, go to Amazon.com and Google, we, not Google, but search for <laughs> We Roll the Night. Yeah. Bye. And it's, it's your full name, right? Clara Eliza Bartlett? Clara Eliza Bartlett, yeah. 
Nice. And I've Such got a, a link name. on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and IndieBound. So if you're not an Amazon fan, you can still go. That's <laughs> right. I always forget to say stuff like that because in my mind, it's like here or any place else that you want to look for it. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't cool. on IndieBound for a little while. So I'm very pleased now that we've got a copy set up on IndieBound. That's awesome. Well, listen, uh, if people want to learn more about you, your work, and where can they find you? So, yes, my author website, authorclaire.com, is a place where you can get in touch if you have specific questions or if you just want to see who am I and what do I do. I've got a bio and, and a link to my work, especially those free short stories where <laughs> you can read them. And I am on Twitter and Instagram mostly as Bartlebette. Can and you spell that for us? Sure. It's uh, B-A-R-T-L-E-B-E-T-T, Bartlebet. Bartlebet. Okay. Yeah. And if you search for the same on Facebook, I do have a Facebook author page that gets updated every so often. I'm more active okay. on Twitter and Insta. Excellent. Claire, thank you so much. You've been thank greatly you. helpful to people who are listening. I know it because I know that I've had some of these questions in the past. And so I'm sure that you're also going to be uh, finding at some point in the universe that you have yeah. really encouraged people who needed a little bit of encouragement today. So thanks for that. So good luck to everybody. Yeah. And I'm sure that there'll be so much in five years that I'll, I'll listen to this and say, why did I, why did I say that? That's the worst advice ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, uh, that's our fast moving uh, world that we live in. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to learning a lot. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>